Hi, I'm Dr Suzanne Reich, criminologist at the University of Southern Queensland. You are listening to I Am Not My Crime, a podcast featuring courageous people telling you the story about the crimes they have committed and their journey to redemption. I Am Not My Crime has been produced to help you understand that for many people, it is their circumstances that led them down the path to offending behaviour and that what somebody has done in the past is not an indication of who they are today. In today's episode, Steve tells you his story about life as a young man spent on the football field and in the boxing ring until drugs and alcohol replaced sport and life took a different direction. I had become everything that I resented. I had in fact become the bully. Steve describes how one night at the pub, his irrational thoughts coupled with his drunken state caused an escalation of events between himself and other patrons. For me, I didn't start out with the intention. The intention of killing the person? Well, no, it was just, it was... That's what happened. That's what what happened. I'm with you. It was the next day when Steve found out his actions had ended someone's life that he first realised how far into the darkness his own life had descended. As you listen, you'll hear Steve talk about the value of education and the importance of others showing great faith in him being central to the person he is today. Prison like just breaks people down to just being a number, but him actually taking time to speak to me as a person was pivotal to helping me in my progression. I was charged with uh, murder and pled guilty to that. And spent quite a bit of time. Yes, I served 18 years, or close enough to, yep. about 5,600 days. Right. <laughs> Not that anybody's counting. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was, I suppose, the motivation for coming to share your story and talk to us today about this? Uh, I, I think initially, and I, I wonder how widespread it is in society, that we've come to a, a place now where um, everything is cause and effect, that we, we want to know how, we want the tangible, and um, a part of that now is people are so easily labelled. So being a, a, a crim or being released as a parolee, uh, I'm just labelled as as that, and it, I really don't know how that fits to me and how I am as a person. I don't know the characteristics that should go with that. I don't know what situation um, I should respond with. So I think it can be confronting for people getting out that they really don't know how they're supposed to fit in. So mm-hmm. I, I've sort of worked on that and tried to drop um, a lot of my history without letting go of all, all of it and being conscious of it, um, how I can just be myself, how I can sort of um, let go of the past and move on and grow as a person. So if I can help other offenders that are coming out to to break their shackles, because a lot of prison mm-hmm. is the mental shackles that, that keep you tied there, uh, that, would be a, that would be a bonus. But also I think um, as, a, as a sort of restorative justice, if, if listeners are listening and they've, they've got a sense of what a, a crim or an offender or a parolee should be, if I can humanise my story um, and, and they can warm to me, maybe their perspective around um, these big, bad, scary people will, will change. And I think in doing that, rather than always being slanted to the negative and downcast and... and um, always angry and bitter and resentful, maybe uh, they can sort of shape to the other side and be positive and and have some empathy um, and and change their life in the way they think as well. Wow, that's really um, insightful and um, quite an incredible response. But there was a couple of really interesting points that I think you um, brought up there. That word shackles is such a powerful term like such a uh, it really conjures up such a visual image of what it must be like to be in prison and to have the shackles released sort of when you're coming out but um another another thing that you commented about was about fitting in um so you're in society but do you feel part of it probably not no i i feel like that is um i I think that's probably just to do with myself and the shame of my past i suppose and, and my offending I often say to people that I'm not embarrassed about coming from prison or being in prison. I met so many good people and I learned so many um, insightful and great things. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed about what I did to get to prison. 
Um, but that mentality goes along with it, with other people, what they think I, what I am and, and where I've come from. Um, so that's where I say I'd like to break the shackles in my mind and other people's minds um, about what these big bad criminals are because that's, that's not ever really the case. Yes, they've done bad things and, and probably some will we'll find themselves in situations, again, that they can't handle and they will resort to ways that they know how. But essentially, um, it's, it's minutes or, it's, or it's, it's bad moments in time where they haven't had the answers and that's why they've reacted or, or responded the way that they have. It's not mm. necessarily who they are as a person um, because I've met so many um, good men in there that were altruistic and fun. Um, they're, they're very family-orientated and... Um, that's that's where I mean with breaking the shackles. So you're saying that, you know, there's been instances where you feel like you haven't fit in. Is there an, an example of a time where you've really felt like maybe someone knew about your past and have really made you feel like you don't fit in or you don't belong in the community? Um, it's probably, it could be, from my perspective, just my own um shame and, and thinking about the past because I don't tell a lot of people that I've come from prison and generally I, I feel like I warm to people, I feel like they like me, we talk, I, I, I follow a host of different topics, um, I try and relate, I try and understand, I try and give and take in conversations but um, I'm still fearful if I say oh well do you know what happened in, in the 90s that there'll be a, a big backflip. Yeah. So I hold that on, not so much as I said that I'm embarrassed about having been in prison. It's more, it's more the um, how I got to prison, and and more so about victims trying to be conscious of them and 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 being tactful in in how sure. I speak about my experiences in yeah. my past. And it's and it's really interesting um, how you were talking about what you did and how people can frame you or look at you in terms of what you did. You know, like. If you've committed murder, you're a murderer. But what you did is not necessarily who you are. Like that's two separate things. So if if it's not who you are, can you can you make sense of or give any explanation as to why you might have committed that crime? I, I think so. Retrospectively, I I think at the time I had some uh, mental health issues in that there was core beliefs that I held, which um, in breaking them down were were abstract and. Um, totally removed from how I would think about situations now. Um, I thought at 20, if you were confronted, you had to react. Otherwise, then you were vulnerable. I felt like uh, I wasn't at the worst excess of the scales of violence, so some violence was allowed. Um, so I broke down the way I, I used to think then, um, but I also think part of my problem in growing up was um, putting too much emphasis on on um, Jesse Owens um, standing up to Hitler, um, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, um, Indiana Jones. I had this hero mentality that I was a hero and I was just um, balancing the tables, I suppose. I just wanted to instill in others who, who I decided um, w what their lives were about, um, some fear um, some embarrassment, some submissiveness, just hoping that they could go back to their wives or their partners or their kids and, and, and take that with them. So that was what I was thinking at the time as a young person mostly running around. So sort of using that violence to teach people a lesson? Well, not so much a lesson, just to, just to, just to make them feel what they're putting on other people. Okay. And I noticed in growing and ageing and... Evidently, after what happened, um, I had become everything that I resented. I had, in fact, become the bully. I was bellicose. Um, I was I was quick to violence, and that was that was the antithesis of what I thought of myself. Tell us a little bit about life before the actual crime event um like, did you have a history of say juvenile offending or anything or what was tell us a little bit about life before then and what you were doing at the time and um i, I grew up playing rugby league um uh, gridiron i played various sports uh i was very active in sporty um and i think 
uh, it was an outlet for me. So playing rugby league, boxing, that was where I could release anger. Whereas um, in years afterwards, like 16, 17, when I grew up, there was no outlet. So I've wondered whether that was a tipping point for me. Um, But I suppose, like, after I stopped playing rugby league, I was heavily um, using drugs. I was um, using alcohol and excessively. I was travelling up and down the coast. I was visiting pubs. I was... um, engaging in violence, as I said. And I, I sort of felt that um, even though um, to a degree men would hide their, their skeletons or whatever, I felt like the different places where I met people, they would show me who they were or I would see them um, for what I thought they were. And it, it felt like even though um, we got to this point where it was a standoff with me and this another person... Um, I felt like I'd, I would give them the dignity to fight or represent their case. Mm. Um, and as life went on, um, it got to a point where one night I felt like um, a group of men were were mocking me and my cause and, and what I thought I was I was doing. Um, and I felt like even though I was I was butting heads with men all the time, I didn't think it was right that people would throw rocks from the side. And um, that's when I um, that that was part of the thinking that um, led me to to what I did. So it sounds like um, when you were sounds like there's a very clear exit point and an entry point to two things here. So you've exited out of rugby league, and I'm wondering why why you stopped playing rugby because that sounds like it was something that kept you on the straight and narrow a bit because it gave you an outlet. But then the second part of that is why you took up drugs and alcohol in in um, place of that. I, I think with the with the sport with the team sport, I was uh, I was always more a loner. I liked the boxing because it was all up to me. Um, if I failed, then it was my fault. I didn't train hard enough. If I won, then it was I could be proud of that because it was all on me. With the team sport, um, other people were involved, and I liked that camaraderie. So when I first started drinking, that was typically around the team sport, and that's where I think I associated that the good times and that goes along with that frivolity and and um, the the group meetings, and and possibly as I came out of that because I just got too old and wasn't wasn't dedicated to training um i i i went further into uh darkness of my own mind and my own uh, mental health and yeah. and core beliefs and 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 broke down that way um and just just kept getting about by myself to a point where i would actually like turn people away um i would denigrate myself i would i would just try and tear myself apart um knowing society as it is and and what people are up to and all sorts of things like that. So um, I struggled with that for a long time and and sort of like my own solitude. And where was family at this time? Um, Mum and dad were home. I had had a lot of cousins. I did have a lot of friends and at times I could travel like to different towns and there'd there'd be another friend or another girlfriend or I could go up north. I had friends there. I had friends in Sydney. So from time to time I would... I would drop in and, and some friends I might stay a week or a couple of days. Um, Quite a nomadic lifestyle by the sound it, of it. Were you working it was, as I well? Was, I, I was working. I, I'd done um, bricklaying, concrete as labouring. So you can sort of get those jobs anywhere up and down the coast. Yeah. So for me, it was walking back in the 90s. You could walk onto a job site and just say, can I have a crack? And and you could work for six months. You could save money and then I'd I'd, I'd be off again. Off you go. Yeah, okay. So no nothing to really keep you stable and keep your like roots planted somewhere. Yeah, probably um, no purpose. I was just floating around and 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 like I said just just taking each day as it comes um and and spending life in and out of pubs mostly. So what actually happened that night? Um well that night started Probably, I don't know, 26, 27 hours earlier. So I'd been drinking nearly 30 hours straight. Um, I, w- I felt at the time that I was, uh, how am I standing or walking? Um, and, I, and I thought I heard a, a group of people. And inside my mind, like I remember that I was confronting people and I was giving them opportunity to, 
show their side of the story. I was just inflicting on them some of the the damage that they're putting on other people just to bring them to to feel what they're doing to others. But I felt like some of those people, at least we, we, we stood on the line and we went head to head. And it just felt like at the time that I was being mocked. Um, so this was in the course of a conversation with people? It wasn't people. in a conversation. A lot of it was happening inside my head. Oh, okay. So it's sort of like irrational thinking. I was, was... was rationalising what was going on, heavily drunk. I hear a group of men laughing and taunting me and, and, and throwing jabs and things like that. And I felt like at the time these people are not really... They're not upset with the world. They're not in danger. They're just laughing at, at circumstances of life. And was there physically people around you or was yes, this... Or, yes, okay. there was. So but the inside narrative was... Was, yeah, these yes, people... Yes, that are they just, were taunting. Okay, yeah. yep. And so um, I just, I, I confronted one of them and it just led to um, lack of control, lack of empathy um and i really lost all sense of myself for for those those couple of minutes and it was a, like bashed yeah 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 so this um this crime then so was there any particular um upheaval or crisis just in life in general at that time or was this just this growing Sort of like we were talking about, like um, in this sort of approach that you had to problem solving with people, was just an incident, like a one-off incident, or it, it, for my part, I, at the time, yeah, I thought it was just a one-off. I um, I'd been on the end of uh, a number of hidings. I'd given plenty out, um, and for me, it, 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 I didn't start out with the intention, um, but. Like evidently, it turned out that way. But at the time, I didn't. With the intention of killing the person. Well, no, it was just it was. That's what happened. That's what. Okay, that's what happened. I'm with you. Um, yeah, so I, I I probably had no purpose. I was just dropping yeah. in on friends now and then, but I was travelling and I was sort of enjoying my time really. Yeah. Um, Is that the first offence you've ever been? I've had some other offences: drink driving, yeah. obviously. Um, and like some some violent, Were they low, low some level violence. drink driving mid mid level yep. to high level. I was I was drunk for a lot of the time as okay. a young person. Um, there's there's probably um, resisting arrest and things like that, but nothing nothing to the to the worst end of the scale. That. And that so that led you to your first term of pris- imprisonment. Yeah, and only. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> How was that going to prison? I sort of thought that. Um, when when this person had died, I actually was like grief stricken. That well, how has this happened? So straight away, before I even went to prison, I started thinking about how I got to that space, how I w- was yeah. able to do that to the, to someone. Um, and and at the at the point, I thought, well, I I didn't think I was still at the worst end of the scale. I I thought, well, it wasn't planned, it wasn't premeditated. I didn't, I wasn't looking for for this. I wasn't. Um, but my thinking habits had led me to that. So I started breaking that down. When I went to prison, I tried to um, reject my past. I tried to not fight. I tried not to engage. I tried to change who I was as a person, how I viewed situations. So um, pretty much straight away, I went into prison. And it, yeah, from time to time, trouble arises. But I, I mostly had a, a fairly good run. I got in with um, some good men. Um, and probably had a, had a smooth run through, um, and I think that was probably just because I just I represented my case and I stood on my line. I, I think that's the the prison in there. If if kids go in scared or if adults go in scared, uh, they can sort of be a target. So I I think I just stood firm. I, I sort of felt like at the time I was like Musashi, who had. Um, been killing since he was 13 um, and then he decided that he didn't want any more he went and lived in the cliffs he went and worked at uh, lived in caves um, he wrote his book and I sort of felt the same that I'd go into my cave I'd put my sword down and I'd I'd finish with it I'd try and re- think about life different ways so that um, I, I could grow and get home to my parents and my family otherwise I thought that I'd, it won't be long and I'll be in the DU I'll be charged again and that I'd probably never get out of prison. So, so that sounds to me like that really brought you to that intersection 
that event was the pinnacle that brought you to that intersection of I've got two ways I can go here. Yes, Keep yes. going on this path. It's either continue on. And at the time, there were, it, it was in my mental space that I'm just, I'm just it's, a, it's a choice that I was uh, being violent. Um, and I used to think that other men were just making choices to be violent in their ways. And while I was on another side of the ledger, I was just balancing it. So I thought that um, if, I, if I can think my way to that tipping point or that event, then I can think my way back. So, yeah, that's what I did. When I went to prison, I just I, I, I spent a lot of nights sitting up, um, doing shadow work, breaking my mind up open, open, understanding how I view things, um, how I perceive things, how I react, and slowly, very slowly, just change the way I see the world. What's shadow work? Shadow work is just understanding um, things about myself that uh, may not be conscious of. So like a reflection thing, self-reflecting yeah. and asking some deep questions about yourself. And, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, are, are, are there situations in my my youth that allowed me to think the way I did? Are there are there still demons there? I, I, I believe that if 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 you don't know how you got to that place, then then parole, then getting out, it's it's sort of um, it's it's pointless because you've still got those demons in there that that can come out when when you lose control or, or under certain you haven't sort of faced those those dark parts of yourself yeah so it sounds like the person didn't die instantly like it was a few days or something is that right no he 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 passed instantly so so did you find out later after the fact that this person had passed away yeah i, I found out um the next day oh what did that feel like? Uh, I just, I just sunk. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, and I still feel like I carry that that grief and that suffering. Yeah. Uh, it was, a, it was a real shock. I thought that at thirty hours drunk, um, I, I wouldn't have the power to do that. Um, I, and I, I, I sort of thought that if I had planned it and done this deliberately, then. I could carry on, but because it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't planned. I, I felt like it went against the grain of who I was as a person. Yeah, okay, that's um, and that that really resonates, I suppose, with what you were explaining earlier about who who you are and what you did is two separate things, um, and sort of coming to that point in your um, own analysis of your life and what you've done and where it's got you to now, so. How did you use your prison time then to keep contributing to that? Um, the first decade, I, I was probably a bit of a rat bag and played up and, and, and joined in with the, with the, with the other blokes um, and mostly just passing time. A lot of the things Why that, did you do that? Um, I, like I stayed out of the violence. I, I didn't join the crews that would um, would, would, would take advantage of people i i would more if i saw people that i thought looked vulnerable or scared i would i would go out of my way to talk and sit with them because sometimes just making a friend straight away can give people courage make them feel a bit safer um and sometimes just knowing someone who'd, who'd been through and around can can be um life-saving for for, for some people um did I, anyone do that for you when you first got there yeah, I met a lot of good men when I first went in there and I was lucky and, and I think that's probably just because I represented my case and I just said this is it and this is who I am. Okay. Um, and I, I guess they probably just respected that. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't afraid. Like I, I, like I was afraid. I mean, it was, it was, it's, I've, I've seen some things that happened so quickly in there. Um, so I was conscious that death or severe damage is, is imminent and, and it happens all the time. Um, I just had like a facade that in my life I had been taking on other people um, and if there was someone that was going to come and take me, then I was, I was happy with that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, I didn't try to start trouble, but um, I definitely tried to hold my ground. Mm. So we were talking about how you used your time. You said the first decade you got into a bit of trouble, but what was, what was next? I'm keen to hear what comes um, next. <laughs> I, I, I think... Oh, like I worked with in in a through care department with counsellors and psychs, and I was always challenging them about how are they 
changing people, how the course is working, um, because I didn't get a lot of coursing in the first, because I had so long to do. They would want me to do courses in the last couple of years, and I would say, well, what's the point of me learning how to live in here under these false pretenses and with violence or manipulation or however people survive yeah. to then get coursing in the last two years when they're about to go home? Um, so I'd always challenge them, why aren't people doing courses at the start? Why aren't you working through with people throughout their sentence? Why isn't there constant help? Um, because a lot of that groundwork I did myself just in a cell at night, just breaking apart how I think and how I'd react and how I view things and, and, and how I perceive situations. But it was probably about um, 10 years in I met a woman, Mary McKenzie, um, she was a psych and I kept saying, Mary, I want to do these courses. I want to make sure that I've, I've changed and I've grown. Um, and she said to me that too many courses can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. So the courses that I were doing um, were courses um, that weren't core courses. I still had a heap of courses that I was supposed to do, but I was doing substance abuse, um, anger management. But these weren't the ones that the jails wanted me to do. So I was always harassing these people. So can you get me on that course so that I can move on and progress through the farm? And she said to me, too much coursing can be detrimental. Um, and she steered me into education. So at the time, I wanted to do philosophy, as in ethical thinking, as in ancient philosophy. That's no surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to, or, or a psych degree, okay, um, just yep. to understand more about people and, and, and my own demons and, and traps. Um, and she, at the time, I could only do an arts degree in history and literature. So I've, I'd done the history and the literature, and the whole time I was making a philosophical case and a thesis, which I still sort of work on now and think about. Um, and I, th I, I still couldn't do philosophy when I finished that degree, so I went to theology because I thought down the track I'd still do the philosophy, but I should know some of the arguments for um, the theological debates. So I did, uh, I've got eight subjects of 24 in a Masters of Divinity. Um, and that was mostly in challenging the churches and speakers. And I had uh, an epiphany that when I read a section of the Bible, I feel that God is speaking through that medium to me in my intrinsic case. So if you read the same section, you're going to read you're going to you're going to take pieces out where God's talking to you about your story. So I used to write to all the all the ministers and um, churches and just talk to them about different things that I thought. Um, so Mary was a big one for me. She steered me into education, and that sort of opened up my mind. I started seeing different things. I, I, was, I, I still struggle watching movies because I, I'm thinking about the backlog and and what were the writers trying to say. Um, yeah. So thanks, Mary. Um, books as well. <laughs> I would read lots of books. I read all the old um, history books and, and philosophy books. So I know a lot of those arguments. Um, and I suppose at the time it, it was um, good for my journey that uh, a doctor, Rob Pensilfini, he came into the prison with his um, Shakespeare group and... I actually contributed to that. We, we, we started a play, we rehearsed, and we put, performed the, the play in front of the jail and our families. Yeah. So that was great insight for me, and that was, that was great in my growth, and it was pivotal that it came at the right time, I think. How does something like that contribute, though, to your growth as a person and your you know, road to redemption? Well, I, I think because I was challenging the way that I thought, um, I could I could read in the lines someone else's perspective, um, and I could play with that. I could I could be the Lady Macbeth and understand or, or, or get a scope of of what she was using as motivation, or I could be Falstaff is always joking, and I could try and understand what I think other people were thinking and going through. So it gave me empathy for other people and what their struggles were, but. Also, um, it's very raw and vulnerable. So when you're learning these lines and you're talking to someone, um, parts of your character might fly out and, and, and you know that other people are picking it up. So it was, it was very raw in showing who I was through this character, which is, which is uh, something that, I, that I'd never done. And I suppose a character requires you to step out of your own shoes and into somebody else's in some sense and take on a slightly different persona and... Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm guessing here. No, that, well, that's, that's right. That's right. You have to try and pretend. 
um, you're that other character. Mm. So you try and find motivation out of the lines. And sometimes it might be a word here and there that you think would be intrinsic to them or pivotal to their character development. So I, I would try and understand um, the different perspectives. Um, also, coming together as a group, we had uh, diverse people coming in different ages. We had um, ladies that would come in um, with Rob. We had um, different different um, ethnicities. And I think at the start, like we're going to do this play, we've got no idea, and rehearsing and building we would shape to this performance, which was this massive crescendo, and it was it showed me that that's how society is sort of working. We're all doing our little bit and contributing to the to the massive cause. So it showed me that that working with others can be fruitful um, if we're all heading in the same direction. So education was something that was important, but programs was something you were almost steered away from a little bit. That's that's pretty interesting because most people in society expect. While you're in prison, you're just going to be programmed um, to the point of rehabilitation. So did you get to do any of the programs? I did the courses, yeah. I finished all the courses. I, I, what type of courses did you do? Um, there's, the, there's, a, there's a smart program, um, learning about triggers. I, I realised that like the trigger's a big one because it's related to a gun um, and you pull the trigger and, and, it's, and it's enacted. And I realised in that group, and I said to the psychs that there's a there's a further analogy to that. That once the trigger's set and the action is set, the bullet's gone. Um, there's also a time and space in the future where you are no longer in control. Um, so that's where I started thinking that any any future crime will start in my mind well before the trigger's set. So. Um, I was conscious of that, that right at that um, genesis, I would be in control of that thought. Otherwise, if it if the bullet proceeded, um, there would be a future where I, I was no longer in control. Mm. Um, she also she also said to me, like I started seeing different things, and I wonder whether Mary thought in me because I was always talking to her and and, and we were challenging each other and um, discovering different things. Um, I typically I looked at other blokes and I thought for some of them there's only like three things in their head it's it's the girlfriend it's the car it's the footy team and if one of those things break or burst or lose then it's like a massive big crater in their mind and there's no space there so I think Mary might have identified that I had so many different things to think about that she thought maybe a lot of my uh, groundwork was done that I was at least conscious and and challenging of my own thoughts. Mm. We've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but you did the SMART program. What, what were the other kinds of programs that are in there? Initially, I did anger management. I did uh, uh, um, substance abuse. I did um, COG skills, uh, a CBT course. I did a VIP course, which was just, it was a lot of, it was it was games and things, but just to, to think about different scenarios, uh, a lot of role play. Okay. Um, and then towards the end, all those courses were rolled into bigger courses, so I did them all one by one, maybe 10 courses, a um, couple of days here, a couple of days um, at other times. But towards the end of the sentence, it was all rolled into one. And I was saying, well, I've, I've done this section. I've done this. I've done this. But it was uh, like six weeks or eight weeks. And it was it was the same course thing that I'd done early on. And and they're called SMART courses, the, the uh, an acronym, S-M-A-R-T. Hmm. Um, so and that would just be measuring um, situations, being specific about goals, measuring, um, setting goals. There were other ones called. Gee, they really stuck well. They they really helped me out, didn't they? I <laughs> I, I don't know what the others were, but I I know that mostly I had done all the work um, ten years ago in piecemeal. So. And that's, I think that kind of brings me to the point that I'm trying to understand here between, because you really sort of went straight into the importance of education and that person that was really a catalyst for you engaging in education um, versus doing the program. So when you look back, what do you, do you think they've all been really helpful for you in the longer term in terms of um staying on the road to change and coming out and living an offence-free life or do you think 
there's one in particular, one or two things in particular that have been really meaningful for that long-term change. Well, I used to say to Mary that um, some of these people that are coming in and out and doing this course that I need to do to progress to farms and things three and four times. And it was, Sykes would say, well, some, some people need to do it three or four times to take parts out to understand a, a pivotal point or whatever. But I thought for me, because I was engaging in the content and trying to understand it, that yes, they were helpful, but it comes back to engaging in, in, in those processes and those thought bubbles that the courses were trying to, trying to explain. Mm. Um, I'd see a lot of people and you, you can just look at your neighbour's work and, and, and pass through. Um, and I, I used to find time, to, some kids that I thought were troubled, I'd go to them later and I'd say, do you understand what that was? Do you know what, what she's trying to say? Um, but I thought because I wanted to engage, I wanted to understand and I wanted to know all the theory that I was, oh, it, it did help me and there were things that I took away from it. Yep. So in your time in prison, was there anything or anyone that you thought was particularly helpful? Um, the, the Queensland Shakespeare Ensemble were, were huge for me. I thought that was, um, that was a real opening up and I think it came at a time that was pivotal to my progress. I was, I was working on myself anyway, but I was still keeping everything to myself. Um, Mary certainly influenced me. Um, she helped me pushed me into education. Um, towards the end of my sentence, there was a group called the Green Fox Studio. Um, they're still working here. They're a graphic design studio. They gave me a chance to um, go in there and learn about graphic design. Right. Um, Helen Black, she's in there with Work Restart. Um, and and poss- possibly even lo- the GM, um, Mr Henderson, he um, he put great faith in me and I, f- I-, I felt like um, he just spoke to me as if I was a person. So... Those those handful of people, and there were other people there that worked with through care and and in um, sentence management who who could I, I guess it's through um, their experience they could separate from from what had happened and could just talk to me as a person as I was today. It didn't feel like I was being talked down to or talked around or uh, it it was as if I was uh, sitting on a bus and just talking to random strangers. They would talk to me as if I was just a, a whole person. So all of these experiences um, were really, sounds like you have valued the experience, but the thing that comes before the experience is people who create those opportunities for you and are the catalyst to those opportunities. Um, and yeah. that's that's a, a point that you just made about the GM there where you said he had great faith in me or showed great faith in me. How, how did he do that? Because that's kind of an abstract concept. So how does somebody show great faith in you? He, he, he talked to me after one of the Shakespeare groups. I'd moved to a new jail and he said, oh, I remember you. You were in Shakespeare. You were really good. And for, the, for, a, for a time, I, was, I wasn't in prison. I was was outside in a, in, a, in a studio doing performing a play. And so we would talk and from time to time we'd see each other on the pathway um, and he would stop me and want to talk to me and say, how are you going, what's happening, um, how's your parole? Uh, he walked me through that process and, and um, gave me insight into um, getting out and, and what I need to do and how I need to focus and, and think about what's important. So he, he helped me with some of those key um, factors. He, um, I, I think that he just spoke to me. I, I think prison like just breaks people down. Mm. So for 10, 12 years, however it is, I was broken down to just being a number. Uh, I think it tries to break your spirit, tries to break you as a person, um, and although it didn't break me, I certainly seen uh, this, the slippery slide there. But him actually taking time to speak to me as a person um, was, was pivotal to, to helping me in my progression. So just one person. It can be one person, taking yeah. Taking a bit of time out, treating him with a bit of value. And, and he wasn't like that with me. I'd seen him talk to anyone. He, he actually stops, he engages in the conversation, he listens, he reacts, he responds. And, and so, yeah, he, he was, a, he was a, a good teacher for me. Do you think it needs to be everyone in prison? Like it sounds like you've encountered quite a few people who have brought some value and some hope to your life. Um, 
Do you think you just need one person to do that or does it need to be a lot of people? Um, well, possibly because my, um, my progression was heading that way, I feel like because I was trying to change my mind and see the world differently, these mentors came in at the right time. So I was taking advantage of these good things that were coming up. Whereas I suppose if you're not in that headspace, you, you don't see it as a positive. Um, so but, people are likely to help you if you look like you're trying to help yourself a bit and it's a two-way street. Well, I, I sort of start thinking that you, you create your own future. Mm. So somewhere I feel like I created those people to come in and help out at those times. It's just really interesting to listen to you talk about how it's been people that have engaged with you that have made a really big difference, even though it's through opening opportunities. But its I didn't sort of haven't heard you say it was this program that changed me or it was one other thing. It was really people and how they've interacted with you that's really mattered. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think going back, I um, had like – I was empowered as a young child. I was I was going in and out of town. I was talking to adults as a, as a young person. I, I felt empowered. I felt like I was a, a good person. Um, I was strong and courageous. And and then I woke up one morning and this person had had died and I think all my self-esteem and I really shrunk and I receded from being open and being out there. So um, to, to feel like someone was coaxing me out again to just, just be who you are and, and be proud of where you come from and, and your history... Um, well, uh, not be proud of, of, of my history and, and things that I've done, but know that um, there's, a, there's a person in there, there's a good person. Mm. I could sort of allow you to leave that as a chapter of your book, not the whole book, mm. as we were talking about. So getting out of prison, tell us about that. Did you have people to come out to or um, like what was that like after such a long time being in that institution and you're talking about sort of the Institute having this way of breaking you down as a person and having to build yourself up. Yeah, well, uh, like I'm still trying to tune in with, with everyone else. I was lucky that when I came out I had a partner and I still do. She's amazing. Um, my mother, uh, she helped me along. I uh, had some, some friends and some family. I think the other good thing was uh, the Green Fox Studio um, and, and Helen um, with, with, with the restart. Because I was meeting and talking to these people in prison, it was just a little shift of um, environment. I was still seeing those same people as I came out, so that may have, that, that was definitely a, a, a great transition for me. In that I was with people that I knew from inside, and uh, so again, people people made all the difference for your transition back to society. Um, what's this restart? You've mentioned Helen and restart a few times. What's what is that? Um, Helen has a space inside the prison where she brings in different workplaces where people right. can go and get employment, um, learn some new skills, and then it, they can transition from working inside to working outside for with an actual employer with an actual under employer. a legitimate and, award wage paid and, job. Yep, you one day you're getting paid. 70 cents a day and the next day you're getting paid $70 a day or whatever it is, yeah. It's a big jump. <laughs> Massive pay rise. So did you experience that yourself? Yeah, I went and worked with Green Fox Studio. Oh, it was with them, okay. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and they're graphic design, so they're still doing good things out there. Um, I was uh, I started doing proofreading and editing in, in, in prison as a graduate certificate. So that's that's what I was doing with Green Fox is doing um, proofreading and editing of um, their advertisements, um, their their brochures and things like that. So that was seemed like a seamless transition for you into work. Are you still working with them? Uh, they call me from time to time and I still keep in contact with them. Okay, so it's like a contract sort of basis. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're like friends too now. Yeah, okay, yeah. So apart from that, are you? What are you doing now? Um, I'm I'm still plotting my philosophy thesis. Okay. So <laughs> I I feel like I'm just always growing. So um, I'm always reading. I'm always learning new things, and I feel like from day to day I could change whole perspectives. So um, in in a positive way, I think that 
when I was always macabre and down and, and negative, then it, you sort of project or propel that way. Yeah. Whereas now I see things positively and, and I'm, it, whatever is happening, I'm, he, I'm heading that way. And, and, and that's what I thought about um, if, if we can reach um, victims or, or people that are anti parole and rehabilitation, if they're always slanted to the negative and, and having a go at the crimps, then that sort of propels their life. I think if they can switch it back the other way and, and, and see our human side, that might help with their own philosophy of life. Mm. But yeah, that's, that's the big thing that I like to do is, is um, sort of plot and plan a thesis and one day try and get into a PhD of philosophy and use my experiences to, to help other people. I do photography I've got a camera, so I like um, landscape photographs, sunsets, mountains, trees. Um, I learn how to surf. I've got a big Malibu surfboard, which is like about 15 feet, so it's more like standing on a platform, but I'm out there on the waves. Um, I have a family. Um, We do a lot of things together. We've just built a a granny flat for my mum. She's living with us, so a lot of the things I'm doing are are home-based. Uh, so apart from the Green Fox, have you had any other jobs or anything since you've left prison? Um, I, I'm, I have been struggling with like the, the, the 40, 50 hour weeks um, and finding a job that I'd enjoy. Um, but I do that contract work with the Green Fox every now and again. Um, I had a job before COVID. I was, I was a gardener okay. um, with a group and they dissolved due to COVID, I started with another guy and I was working with him and he's ended up selling his business. It wasn't going as well as he would say. And so I'm looking for employment, but but most of the time I'm studying. So I'm interested then if you worked in that gardening, like, so that was obviously um, another job that you had achieved in some, did you get through an application or? Yep. Yep. So did you have to disclose your criminal record to them? No, I wasn't asked. So I, could... I don't know what the law is. And, and if they had have asked me, I would have been up front, but I was never asked. Yep. And what about the one after? Yes, he knew. He knew. How, how did he respond to that? Um, because he was a friend of another person who was um, in and out of jail, he knew that I'd come from jail. But as to... How long I stayed there, I just, uh, like he he almost looked at all that someone could go through 18 years in prison. He'd done a couple of weeks and, and it was probably terrifying um, and that sort of wears off after a while. So um, he he was really helpful and great for me in, in, in helping me and, and making me feel like part of the team. What difference did that make to you, the fact that he knew that you'd spent a long time in prison yet he was still willing to give you a go? Um, well, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. And I think mostly, I, I try and think that mostly if people knew, um, me as a person that they'd probably take me on and give me a chance. Um, I, I try to think that it wouldn't be a great thing for, for strangers, although I sort of know that it, it can be detrimental. If there's, if there's a hundred people going for a job and I'm the only person that's been in prison, probably not going to get the job. Um, and I, I, I felt like if I could get to the interview and I could put myself forward, I'd be a greater chance. But uh, the problem with me and, and, and my resume is there's a big gap there of about 20 years. Sure. So that's the hard part. So what would you say then to an employer who's got 100 applicants and one of them does have a criminal record and you say, I probably won't get the job. But what would you say to them to encourage them to at least entertain the idea? Um, I, I know if I was employing people, I would want to hear that I'm, I'm happy to start at the lowest level and give myself to a company and work through the ranks. So Why would you do that? Well, I just think that would, that would give an employer um, hope that they're going to put time into training someone and that I'm going to see it through for the six-month training and then I'm going to be there in six years um, still chipping away, thinking of it as my own company and trying to elevate higher and higher. So that's an opportunity to prove yourself. Yeah. 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 But but why would they give that opportunity to you and someone who doesn't have a criminal record? Um, they don't I, have that added 
perception of risk that they have to manage then? Well, I, I think having spent so long in prison and even people that go there for months, it's a, it's a great strain on on you as a person. So I could say that I'm, I'm a survivor um, and prisoners are. It's like the phoenix rising. We're, we're, we're strong. We've come from diversity. We've come from all those dark days that um, if given the chance... Um, we're happy to push through all those hard days. Um, so you've talked about that sort of tenacity of being able to get through some really tough days. What what else, what other things did you learn for life that you think is a really good quality for employment? Well, having struggled now for a couple of years without full-time employment, gratitude would be the biggest thing. Yep. I think in spending time with people, there's not a lot of uh, stimuli in prison. So I spent a lot of those 20 years studying people. So I feel like I understand people. I feel like at times I can give and take and and I can try and warm to them. So um, I can help in that process. Like I've, I've done a lot of sales work, so um, I can push and pull at different times. Um, I, I think um, having resolve... So what would your idea of a dream job be? Oh, Just well, in case somebody's listening, I've got a great candidate here for you. It'd have to be, it'd have to be six figures, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least. And if, if someone needs someone just to read books for them and tell them what it was about, that maybe that would work. So an editor or well, a critic or... <laughs> yeah, um, that's probably dreaming. I, I do have... That's the question. <laughs> I do have a uh, quite a philosophical view, and I feel like I have insight into um, different different perspectives and and different ideas that writers are trying to portray. So I I often break down the story into analogies that people can understand. So I've I've thought about blogging for books or, or companies. Um, mm-hmm. I I, I, do, I really don't know what's out there or where to start. I, I am a writer at heart and okay. probably an orator. So like today um, was very emotional and tricky and I'm very nervous, but I feel if I can break out of that, I might be uh, a little bit humorous as well at times. So I think <laughs> if B105 need a uh, another radio jock, <laughs> another radio jock I'd, you're I'd love ready to give for that the job. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to say something to your victim's family, what would it be? Whoa, um, I, I, that's what I struggle with mostly over the over the years is is where to start, and there's probably a lot that I would that I would keep for myself that I would say I I, I think of what would I say if someone come to me after years uh, having hurt someone in my family and I, I struggle to think that I could forgive them, um, but I definitely believe that um, people need to grow and change. Um, and, and and looking at it at the large picture, people that have suffered and, and were victims, I feel have to let go of, of the hate and the bitterness, um, the resentment, because I feel like that we're, we're ethereal people. We're, we're mostly made up of space. So the material part aside... Um, we are loving creatures, and I feel like I needed to. Back then, I was living the the, the Malcolm X life, the angry attitude any any way I can, and I've I've swayed now to the Martin Luther Junior King because the violence doesn't work, um, the hate doesn't work. It it stops you from growing as a person. I feel so. What I try and do is open up love to come into my heart. And that way, the tendrils of me can reach out into the ether and can find those opportunities and can, can drag them to me. I feel that if if, if people, as hurt as they are, um, need to find some solace and closure and move on and, and, and have that peace. Because I've lost people too while I was in prison and, and certain things happen, and I understand the, the, the pain of sorrow and loss and uh, there's a massive gap in, in who you are as a person, um, but... I, I really feel like I have to keep growing um, because there's no one coming to help. These people have to change themselves. They have to work on their own their own feelings. So going from here and into the future, how do you think your life can be played out now to 
um, not necessarily make up for it. I don't know if anything necessarily makes up for it, but what are you hoping to do to give back to the world? Well, I, th- I think, and I can only talk about my experience, but I've had great insight into why I offended and, and how I was thinking, um, different core beliefs, and I see it in young people now, um, certain traits that I think are dangerous. Um, and, and so if I can tell my story uh, and show people that you can change, yeah. um, that some of the fictitious things that you think about society, you, you can just break away and, and, and not have them as a major part in your life. So the, the young people that are angry and they want to bully, uh, they feel like they have to, a lot of those things are just fictitious. I, I thought in there that um, I had an identity as a young man, as, as, as being rough or aggressive, um, being the saviour trying to swoop in, when I realised that my family don't really care about that identity, they just want me around. Um, so if I could impart on young people or even old people... Um, who, who can't break out of that cycle or don't understand how it's affecting them or their, how their core beliefs are affecting them. If I could do something like that, I think that would be great. And additionally, victims too. If I could, if I could humanise myself with them, if, if they can see that um, people that have done terrible things are actually humans and have had really terrible days, um, but I'm actually a person, I, I feel, um, I fear... I, I um, have suffered, but those those sort of qualities are detrimental to growth. So if I can if I can start swinging some of those people back to the positives of life and and look for the good things, um, I'd definitely like to help help out that way too. So if someone was a young person that's listening to this and thinking, oh, he sounds like he's describing me, what do you think they could do to avoid going down your path? Um, the old path, not I, the current path. <laughs> I, I remember a, a sign on a bus when I was a kid. And I think it was like grade three or four. It said, well, move out now while you still know everything. Yeah. So <laughs> young people feel like they know everything and have lived everything. And whatever that person is now, it's not always as bad as you think. It can be a whole lot worse really quickly. So... And, and and probably it will for their life. So um, people age, we've got cancers. Life can be pretty tough, but if you're going to keep harbouring this ill feel and, 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 and wanting to be violent and wanting to be aggressive and wanting to... You, you're headed to one of two places um, and the alternatives aren't that great. So I guess what I would say to young people is use the older people around you to, to help you. Um, Tell your parents how you're thinking, how you're viewing the world, what's harming you, what what do you lay up night thinking about, um, what are some of these fallacies that are in your head about how to how to be and how to be a person in in your community. So I would say I, I definitely did. I lean heavily on older people that know better. And connect with good people who can help you. S- yeah. Steer you in a different direction. Yep. Yep. And, and that once, old adage: learn from my mistakes. Yes. Yes. Don't make them yourself. I, I definitely believe that once you start taking steps towards that, things will appear for you to, to pivot further. Mm. Um, so you mentioned that um, one of the most important people to you now is your partner. Did you have that partner when you went into prison or how how did you have a partner coming out of prison? Well, That's an interesting... Yeah, we talk about this. We Our lives have intertwined many times throughout our life so we i say oh i used to i used to drink here she said well i used to work there or i used to go here all the time and i I went there all the time too so we feel like there's like these sliding doors moments where we probably should have connected 50 times as young people um but it came about that i was in prison i had come back to a prison um and had met a friend and he said to me one day he had a girlfriend that was visiting him and her girlfriend wanted someone to write to and he said to me oh I'm just wondering who'd be a good match for her and I said well hello (laughs) it's been 15 years (laughs) so um I said well what does she do or and and at that time I didn't really care I just thought that would be really good just to have that female companion so we started writing 
uh, we spoke on the on the phone first, and then we started writing to each other. And then she came up and visited, and we just really hit it off. And we we're still having fun five years later or six years later. And there's there's no complications there. So mm. that may have been a relief for her that we spent three years talking on the phone and visits, and there was real no problems. Um, and now that we've got out, and it's been it's been three years that we're we we still haven't got any um, nasty problems. We don't fight. We don't we we talk things out. And that may be her. Like, I mean, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. So that's probably on her part giving more than I am. than I am. Um, but we're a good team, I think. So I'm, nice. I'm very fortunate. Are you curious about why people behave in criminal ways? Maybe you would enjoy a fascinating career in the criminal justice system or one of the many associated agencies, working with people who have committed crime or been a victim of crime. Why not get a head start with your studies in criminology and criminal justice here at the University of Southern Queensland? To find out more, go to usq.edu.au slash Bella. That's B-E-L-A, then click on Law and Criminology. There are two things from Steve's story that I would like to elaborate on for you. The first of these is in response to a question that I think transpires from Steve's story, and that is... How does a young man who seems to be living a fairly normal, sport-loving, pro-social life during his adolescence descend so quickly into a self-destructive life that lands him in prison for murder? One possible answer to this lies in the work of Travis Hershey, a prominent American sociologist whose 1969 book titled Causes of Delinquency is still a highly influential work within criminological research today. In his research, Hershey reversed the question and asked why young people do not commit crime rather than why they do. It's two sides of the same coin, really. He proposed the theory of social control and argued there are four distinct factors that prevent or at least decrease the risk of a young person engaging in delinquent or criminal behaviour. He called these four factors social bonds, which are categorised as commitment, attachment, involvement and belief. Hershey proposed that when one or more of these bonds are weakened, that young people are at higher risk of delinquent or criminal behaviour. So how does this apply to Steve's story? Commitment is about having a stake in conformity, such as having a job. It promotes commitment to this pro-social activity because there is something to lose if you did commit a crime. Although Steve had jobs along the way, these were itinerant to accommodate his nomadic lifestyle. So not much to lose for Steve in this regard. Attachment. This is about our attachment to others and what they might think or feel if we were to commit a crime. It acknowledges the impact that crime would have on others that we feel attached to and on account of this, it protects against offending. In Steve's story, we heard that his contact with family was sporadic and he would see friends infrequently whilst on his travels. Arguably, the bonds of attachment to conventional others was weakened on account of his occasional contact with them. Involvement is the third of Hershey's social bonds and refers to how involved we are in society through things like hobbies or sports. This one speaks for itself in Steve's story where there was a definite severing of this bond after he gave up playing his sports. Belief. This is the last of the social bonds, which is concerned with how much we believe in the moral obligations we have in society, such as obeying the law. Again, Steve's story illustrates a weakening of this bond since there had been some previous instances of already violating the law through drink driving and other brushes with the law. Steve's story most certainly resonates with Hershey's ideas and illustrates how these social bonds were weakened in his own life. But the second point I want to elaborate on for you is the importance of education for successful reintegration. It is widely known and accepted that one of the factors associated with offending behaviour is poor or low levels of education. If this is the case, then it stands to reason that education is important to protect against further offending. Research is very clear in its findings that the benefit of education for prisoners is multifaceted and has a transforming influence on their lives. Education is reported to improve self-esteem and confidence. It restores the individual's humanity. The level of literacy is improved and it increases the skills that are needed for prisoners to live as law-abiding and productive citizens upon their release. Education also improves the prospects for employment. 
You may have heard comments in social media or even amongst your own circle of friends and family about prisoners receiving a free education and how they get a free run in prison. I know I have heard these comments and you might be mistaken in believing that this is the general attitude amongst the general public. However, in one Australian study that examined public attitudes towards parole and re-entry, the authors report that overall, the public actually support efforts to rehabilitate prisoners. In fact, almost 85% of the respondents in their study support the idea of spending more money on prison-based education, and they acknowledge that education is crucial to avoid further offending. It is fair to say that everyone wants to live in a society where offending or re-offending is on the decrease. Education provides a promising pathway towards this goal. This is extremely important for reintegration success, but it's only part of the bigger picture for reintegration. Those who have been previously involved in the criminal justice system still need others to provide opportunities for inclusion in the community as well. As you heard Steve say, having a job, having good social connections and feeling that others believe in and have faith in you also matter. I want to leave you with a quote by Fyodor Dostoevsky, the author of Crime and Punishment. He said, A society should be judged not by how it treats its outstanding citizens, but by how it treats its criminals. Wherever you are in the world, how do you think your society would be judged? Thanks for listening to I Am Not My Crime from the University of Southern Queensland. If you have a moment, please subscribe, rate and review. This will help others to discover I Am Not My Crime. I'm Suzanne Reich. Thanks for listening. If this episode has brought up any issues and you need to talk to someone, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300-222222 or Narcotics Anonymous on 1300-652-820. And blokes, if you think you might need help with anxiety, stress, depression or anger, you can speak with a counsellor from Men's Line Australia on 1300 78